what they do to make money. My name is Jen, and you are... <laughs> I'm Joyce. I was like, wait, should I interrupt right there? <laughs> We're no. rusty, as you can tell. Oh, I Yeah, we haven't recorded this in a while. In a good while. Yeah, it's been at least months, right? Like yeah. several months. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. But great to what be have back. you been up to? Yeah, it's great to be back. This is always so much fun. I also heard a podcast um, recently that uh, followed the story of a woman who um, went through like five different careers and then ended up becoming like this award-winning author. Hmm. Um, and it made me think a lot about the conversations that we've had where like people have transitioned and um, jumped multiple jobs and I don't know. I'm really excited to kind of like get back into this because yeah. those stories are always fun to hear. Yeah. No, that's mm-hmm. I, well, I'm curious what her other careers were. She started off as like a lawyer. Yeah, and, that sounds right. And then um, there's a lot of writing when you're a lawyer. Yeah. So I've been told. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and then she was a consultant. Management yeah, consultant that, or something like that? That sounds about like a right jump. Everyone's a consultant. At, like, Everyone's everyone, <laughs> we're all consultants in life, you know? Dude, I almost became a consultant after we talked to Terry. I know. She was, she that was, was yeah. the one job where I was like, I think I want to be a consultant. And after that, I was like, ooh, I do not have the patience to be a consultant. <laughs> and I just – because it sounds like you have to be so like – you have to be able to smooth talk people, even if you're just like, no, that's stupid. Don't do that. You have to be like, yeah, well, so the big picture here is uh, that idea is dumb. Uh, no, you're not allowed to do that. See, that's, I couldn't do it. But don't you think so we you do that all the time in our roles anyways? Well, like that's in the thing. Pro- I'm not good at that. <laughs> I'm not good at sugarcoating things. Mm, but but that, could mm. be, that could be a value add, right? Because some people just want it straight. Some people yeah. just want to like figure out the best way to, I don't know, solve whatever problem that you're consulting them on. I don't know. Yeah, I could see I that being either. a thing. I could see you being a consultant, though. Oh man. Oh well, we all oh, took our man. jobs back. So yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have big news on the fanfic front, though. Oh my gosh, let's hear it. Uh, I finished the first draft. Yeah, it's like 300 freaking pages. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so I'm editing it right now. And oh, my gosh, it like it it just reading your own stuff. It just makes me think, wow, this is a fourth grader writing this. This is trash. <laughs> and then you change it a little bit. And then sometimes you'll read and you're like, wow, what kind of uh, like what headspace was I in then? Because that was actually okay. 
And, you know, it's just a lot of that and into oblivion until one day I post it online under a fake name that none of y'all will ever find and (laughs) and I'll wash my hands of this. Now you're just uh, painting them, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I actually do have a, a... what are, they, what are they a pen name? I have a pen name in mind mm-hmm. that will be a playoff of my first name and last name, but switched. Oh, <laughs> that's a riddle. That's a riddle. <laughs> There's no one out there that's like, I need to find this. <laughs> to the two people that listen to this, <laughs> yeah. you'll never find it. <laughs> but also, just to clarify, this is the Harry Potter one, right? Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Harry Potter fanfic. Which I'm sure there's a lot of philosophical components <laughs> to uh, the motivations of one writing fanfic, which I'm sure our guest today would be happy to walk us through. Uh, <laughs> please welcome to the show, Ethan Nowak. Woo! Is that my cue? It was so smooth. That's your cue. (laughs) It was so smooth, you're right. It was so smooth, you missed it. (laughs) The way that we uh, told you it was going to go was an aggressive... uh, (laughs) But in fact, it was smoother than something very smooth and waxed. Uh, Looks like someone else is a writer amongst us. Uh, Ethan, how about you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay. Um, Yeah, my name is Ethan Noack. And I think you said that I should say what my job title is. So I'll say Mm -hmm. uh, that I think officially my job title is translated into English as um, Associate Professor in Philosophy at the Department of Historical, Religious, and Philosophical Studies of Umeå University in Sweden. Dang. 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 I I think that's like actually by Swedish law, that is my title kind of whoa are just out of curiosity because i think in europe this tends to be the case but are there are there more like legalities around job titles in sweden to where i think so so i officially like i don't know whether there are such thing as private universities in sweden i think not i think all the universities are part of the government so officially Mm. i might be wrong about that but but most of them are like part of the government so officially, I'm a civil servant. Like I, I work mm. yeah, in oh. the Swedish government, and so I think for that reason, like you know, whatever, like there's sort of copious quantities of legislation that relate to you know everything. Mm. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. that makes sense. I didn't. I don't yeah. think I've ever connected that before, though. Wait, yeah, I don't think cool. it occurred to me until I moved there and realized, like, I had all this paperwork to do. It says, well, now you're a, uh, you know, a civil servant. Well, hmm. So you will be watched. Your expenses will be monitored. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, now, have you been a professor outside of Sweden? Uh, sort of. So I, when I finished my PhD in 2016. And I got a job that I think like by the American title would be called like visiting assistant professor. So like, mm-hmm. a, I think it was a two year job maybe where I was like teaching sort of had the same teaching responsibilities as a normal professor would have, but without being on the tenure track. So I think, mm-hmm. I think in America that would be called visiting assistant professor. I had a, a job like that for a few years 
And then I had a job as a researcher for a few years, which is mm -hmm. uh, like you get paid slightly less, and but you don't have any teaching. And then now I've transitioned into this. So now I have, I guess now I have tenure. So I think I'll have this forever. Mm. Yeah, tenure is... I hear that is talked about with teachers a lot. That just means you're good to go for life. <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite, I, I don't, I think there are probably things I could do that could get me fired, but I think it would be quite, it would have to be pretty bad. Yeah. 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 yeah that's my understanding of it too. And and when you, when you went to um, your PhD program, like, did you go in knowing that you wanted to be a professor or was it more kind of motivated by research? Yeah, I knew that I wanted to be. Although the statistics are terrible. So I wouldn't have said that like I expected it. I, what I thought was, this is something I really enjoy doing. I, I can, in, in a PhD program, maybe unlike sort of other stages of your education in the United States, you don't have to pay for school. And in fact, mm -hmm. you get a stipend. It's pretty pathetic. Like as I went to UC Berkeley, <clears throat> the stipend at Berkeley is not world famous for being high uh, the cost of living is extremely high so you don't right. get a lot but i was thinking look i'm not going to be incurring debt um and i'm not going to have expenses beyond living expenses so i might as well sort of run with it and see where it goes i, I think i thought that i would never get an academic job but hmm. yeah so you said the statistics aren't that good. Are you saying that the probability of becoming or like to pursue a career in academia is very hard to uh, make that jump? I think that's right. So I, I, I don't know what the filter is like going into a PhD program. I, I think this it's fairly hard to get in to begin with. I think roughly 50% of the people that start the PhD finish. And of the finishers, mm. I, I don't know how many go on to a career in academia, but it's not it's not great. So I think if you came in thinking I'm going to be a professor, goddammit, it wouldn't be a great, it wouldn't be a great strategy. Although, as far as I can tell, all of my cohort came in with that strategy. Most of them did fine. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But not all of them. Not all. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, see, there, it's the the statistics, like you said. Yeah, I think they're they're against you, unfortunately. A lot of Wait, so, so huh? Go for it, Jen. Um, so on that, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, and maybe this is just a naive outsider's look at it, but something about pursuing academia, becoming a professor, there's something very romanticized about that career path. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just because it's portrayed that way in pop culture or it just seems... I, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but I'm curious if that was your uh, like your experience. Like, what did you feel like you had romanticized this career path or do you find that other people do? I don't know what you're I'm curious yeah. what your experience is with that. Oh, uh, it does seem to some extent like romanticized. I don't know when you see like TV shows or movies that like involve a professor. Yeah, there's like a lot of tweed and. Some probably some <laughs> sexual harassment and like it seems like the mm. professors are enjoying their life fairly well. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say maybe I myself had that so much. But I don't think I, I mean it sounds funny maybe being a philosopher. I don't think I was super reflective about what my future life would be like. <laughs> I think it was more like sort of I am enjoying what I'm doing. If I could keep nice. doing this forever and get paid for it, wouldn't that be great? 
Also, and I when mean, you, hmm. yeah, please. Oh yeah, just real quick. So to clarify, you said I'm enjoying I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Meaning yeah. what? Uh, research really like uh, uh-huh. reading re- reading basically like reading articles uh, in in philosophy and then writing you know responses to them. Read something and think. Oh yeah, that was really cool. But here's this problem that the author didn't consider, or mm. yeah, whatever. I, I mm. think I got a great piece of advice only recently that I'm going to try and start giving to my own students, which was like read something and like find the find the sentence in the thing that you sort of most violently disagree with, or the thing that makes you oh. want to throw up, and then that's that's the thing that you should sort of try and write your paper about. So. Yeah, I was having fun doing that. I thought, oh, if I could roll with this, I'll do it. But really for me, I, I think like to be totally honest, I just, I got into the habit of like skiing on Tuesday and Wednesday and thought <laughs> if I could have a job where, you know, I really have a free schedule. So for me, it was really all about skiing. Like this is why, I, you know, terrifying. <laughs> My advisors will hear this. Everyone will know. It's too late now. <laughs> I mean, the, if this isn't romanticized, I don't know what it is. Like okay, the skiing. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, but it just sounds, it sounds lovely. Yeah. I mean, I always thought it was good. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say you have a, a free schedule, what does that mean? Oh, it, it means, I guess you have a lot of flexibility about like when you do your work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now everything's different, right? I guess because of the pandemic. So if in, in the pre-pandemic world, I felt like I was the one of very few people who could really properly just like ski, say, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then work really hard Monday, Friday, and over the weekend. Now mm-hmm. it seems like, and, and sort of geographically shift. Now it right. seems like maybe that's more common. <clears throat> but in the old days, I guess my outputs are mostly measured like in terms of papers I write. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't have a lab, so I don't need to be in the lab. And um I find for me, like the writing of the papers, it just happens when it happens. It's not something like you can say, oh, I'll go into the office and sit there for eight hours. Well, it might be that you just sit there for eight hours and nothing happens. So I sort of, yeah, you sort of strike when the iron's hot. For me, that often happens like, yeah, random times of day, random days of the week sort of thing. That's Hmm. so interesting. And so so then like how how do you account for that in terms of like planning deadlines and setting expectations like that? Yeah, it can be quite hard, honestly, to know how long something will take. Um, right. So it's it's really hard. Like, uh, yeah, I guess recently, like I, I said, I would write a not not like a cool book, but I said I would write like a, a kind of introductory book to the philosophy of language. And they say, mm-hmm. okay, how long do you think it'll take? Uh, because you know the publisher they want to have some idea for their planning. And I came up with a like, somewhat arbitrary date in the future. And now it's starting to scare the hell out of me. I'm thinking, well, what? <laughs> when you, know, you try to say, okay, I need to generate, you know, say me six, 12,000 word chapters. How long does it take to write 12,000 words? I mean, to some extent you can plan these things, but when you're writing like sort of a proper research project, really it's sort of impossible to say how long it will take because um, like I could say how many words a day I'll write, but like the inspiration, well, either right. it will come or it won't come or, or often you sort of encounter a problem as you go. You just have no idea how long it will take to solve a problem or sort of like what resources, what you'll have to learn in order to be able to solve it. Like sort of philosophy is like a big bowl of spaghetti where like you can reach in and pull one noodle, but like, well, maybe the whole thing is just one friggin' noodle and they're all tangled up. Maybe there are you know some cuts in there somewhere. You just have no idea. 
That's so interesting. I've never heard that analogy before, but I yeah. love it. <laughs> next, I time I hear, do- next time I use it, you'll that guy's lost his memory. <laughs> <laughs> the next time I eat spaghetti, I'm going to be like, this is a bowl of philosophy. <laughs> if I was eating spaghetti and there was just one long noodle, oh. I would lose my mind. Yeah, exactly. I would think I was in Inception. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, I feel something. Really <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I so want to. Would you? Oh, sorry, real quick. Um, I was gonna. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, I want to. I want to real quickly talk about that book, though. Oh, like yeah. when, like when you were thinking about like writing it, um, what was the what was the kind of like motivation behind that? Like, what was like oh. the the actual thing that you wanted to? share in this case nothing in this case the publisher wrote me and said uh hey look there isn't really like a good introduction to the philosophy of language which is what i I work on um Mm -hmm. would you be interested in writing one my first thought was no like i don't get like professional cred for writing an introduction and um it seems like a lot of work then on the other hand there it's true i think that there isn't really like a good introductory book on this subject which is a subject i teach in a lot so in some ways it would make my life better if there were like such a book, mm. because then I could just give it to my students. Mm-hmm. And then um, also I find out that my university will give me a lot of credit for writing the book, even if it's not like a proper research mm. book. So then, I, you know, then the calculus oh. shifted. Okay. I should do it. Yeah. Oh. So when you say credit, mm-hmm. what does that translate to? Yeah. So um, my, I think this is different from the American system, but my, I, I sort of, I thought of this before our, our, our talk. In fact, I think a good analogy would be something like the sort of fixed versus floating mortgage rates. Mm. Like my understanding, I've never really taught as a professor in America, so I don't really know. My understanding is that it's kind of like having a fixed mortgage in that you have a certain amount of teaching that you're going to do every year. And it's, you'll get like a sabbatical maybe every five to seven years or something, but outside of sabbatical, you're more or less going to teach two classes per semester. And in Sweden, it's, it's very different. It's more like a floating system. So I, um, if I get, if I publish a lot of research, then I basically get like credits that reduce my teaching. And if I, if I don't publish a lot, then my teaching goes up. So I could end up, with what we would call a four-four, which is where you're teaching four classes per semester, or even maybe like a little more than that, which by American standards would just be like this crushing teaching load. On the other hand, if I publish a lot, I think I can reduce myself to like sort of barely teaching, like teaching here and there. Um, and so, with regard to this sort of credit system, um, as long as I publish with a good publisher, even publishing a textbook will get me a lot of credits, as it were. So, yeah. Mm. Now. For in your career as an assistant professor, the way that you're talking just then, it makes it sound like it would be favorable to have less classes to teach. And I'm just wondering, like, what does the part of educating and that, like, working with the students play into, like, what you're motivated by? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great, terrible question. Yeah, I don't want to sound like a total mercenary, but I think lately I have gotten spoiled because I haven't had a lot of teaching and that's made me want to have less teaching. So when I when I don't have a lot of teaching, mm-hmm. I get to just read books and write and mm-hmm. I'm getting to write like really, I'm really working on cool stuff. So 
it's sort of been feeling like teaching is like a, it's pulling me away from what I really want to be doing, which is like writing about mm. language. Uh, on the other hand, I, I, I want to register that every time I've taught a class, like a real class, it's been incredibly rewarding. Since the pandemic mm. happened, all my teaching has been asynchronous and online. I think mm. that's made it easy for me to hate. So mm. the sort of mm. rewarding interactions, like those moments where a student comes at the end of term and says, I, this really changed the way I thought about so-and-so, or I've really discovered like a confidence in myself that I didn't know I had. Like those moments were so valuable, but now I don't have those. So it's, it's easy to think like, we just need to minimize teaching. Yeah. yeah. It may be that when I start like having real teaching again, things are different. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like, that was like a common thing that like, even as college students, we were very aware of. Like we mm. were always told that like, like the the majority of professors who are there are there for the research, not for the teaching. Yeah, and therefore, yeah. like you know, you feel that in that experience where they have they have brilliant content, but when yeah. it comes to relaying that content, yes, it, it's a little bit more of a struggle. And you're like, wait, yeah. this person is brilliant. Like, what's yeah. going on? Um, yeah. But yeah, like it seems like the the main motivation for professors is the the research rather than the the education piece. I think that would be especially true at Cal, right? Like you're going to have sort of Mm -hmm. the most, like the best researchers in the entire world. They really want to be doing cutting edge research. I think, yeah, if you go to like a liberal arts school or something, I think you'll find, I think the professoriate is like really deeply invested in teaching and cares a lot about it. For what it's worth, I also like, I do take my teaching quite seriously. And if I think about like what I've accomplished in my career, Mm. It's sort of the things that I'm most proud of would be like moments of feeling like in some small way, I helped a student on their journey towards being a better version of themselves or a a more confident version or something. Um, Yeah. So, so I don't want to downplay it too much. I think it's fair to say that like people that can do research, like want to do research. Yeah. And I know that there's a component of research and, you know, exploring, a, you know, uh, a topic such as like the philosophy of language. Like I know that that can exist uh, outside of also teaching, but is there a, is there a scenario where one just does those things like just the research mm-hmm. or just the writing? I mean, I imagine that there's like the private entities you're doing research for Nestle mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but like, but um I mean, it just seems very compatible to both teach and to expand kind of, you know, what it is that, or like to research and to create your own work. I, I just wonder if they, the, the other side exists on its own without the teaching. Oh, sorry. Is there, are there just pure research jobs? Do you mean? I mean, I, I guess I know fundamentally yeah. there are, but I'm just... Want to hear yes, I'm just. It, it feels. It feels like they always exist together. Like the te- you teach and you also are writing and creating material and doing research. Yeah, and typically, I just don't know typically they're together. I think like most universities will require some amount of teaching from people. Um, <clears throat> I think in the United States that's almost without exception the case. In Europe, maybe there are more 100% teaching positions. Or sorry, 100% research positions. Um, Hmm. I I think what very often would happen here is that you would get funding. Like if you're lucky and you get funding from a big funding body, 
it would buy you out of your teaching for a fixed interval. So like a lot of times people would get a grant for three years. They would teach either mm. like one class a year for three years or maybe no classes a year for three years. Something like that. Maybe as much as five years if you got super lucky. I think in France, they have quite a few 100% research jobs. I think in the UK and in the rest of Europe, it's it's more common to have them sort of bundled together. My my job says if I get 100% buyout, I'm not allowed to take it all. Like I have to teach, I have to sort of keep some mm, some see. connection, as it were, with, this, with the university, yeah, with teaching, with other teachers and with my students. And the grant, the the whole like getting grants and stuff like that mm. is like a like an area that I know very little about. Is it like a kind of like using your word uh, of mercenary? Like, do you do you have to be regularly going and looking for grants individually and independently yes. from your or? Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, it kind of sucks, honestly. Um, I think again, this is sort of to go back to the fixed floating mortgage yeah. interest analogy. In the U.S., I think like your rate, you're always going to teach like you're always going to have like a non-zero teaching load, but it, it will never be that bad either. You'll have plenty of time to do research here. Here, it's like you, things could be great, but they could also be terrible. I think the expectation in most U.K. jobs and most European jobs is that you will be searching for funding and mm. like a good career will be like good research career would depend on like at least sometimes getting external funding. And is that like, like, do you have to go do pitches and things like that to get that funding? Or like, what's uh, that not, process like? Not quite. Usually like a call will come out like from mm -hmm. either, like say, for example, the European Union, like research council will put out a, uh, like a call. You'll respond with a written proposal. If things go really well, you'll end up being interviewed. Uh, but you want to, you want to mm -hmm. typically like, you wouldn't typically have like short pitches until you're quite far along in the process. It would mostly be okay. written at the beginning. I see. I see. Yeah. And I, I, I imagine like the the bulk of like your non-teaching research work is what fuels the yes. ability to get those grants. Okay, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So they look both like at your publication track record and then also like, you know, what you're proposing to do. You should have quite a detailed proposal about what what you would do if given the money. Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot that professors need to kind of like balance and manage in terms of like like your own progress, your own research, kind of like what you said, it's hard to like estimate exactly how, mm. how, like how much time you need to like reach a deadline. Um, but there's also like deadlines from teaching. And then there's mm. also like this separate independent like project of like getting grants. Like yeah. how do you, like, how do you go about like managing just like all those work streams independently? Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't know. Again, I never actually I've always either been a PhD student or, you know, on this career path. So I don't know what it's like compared to other uh, jobs. I think I mean, I, it's like pretty crude. I just have like a Google. Um, what's that called? Like the cool of Excel Google boxes. Thing. <laughs> yeah, she's. Yeah. Google boxes. <laughs> <laughs> the box. You need to get into marketing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I hashtag use Google yes. boxes. Well, I, I try to like, it's just too hard to keep track of their product offerings. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They had yeah, whatever. If they had sheets, then it was boxes. Then it'll be rebranded as circles <laughs> with square edges. And then <laughs> spaces mm. like constrained spaces, vertically and horizontally constrained spaces. <laughs> 
I feel like you're inside a think tank at Google right now. Like just throwing pitches hope, against the wall. I, they, I wish my salary would be a lot higher. Um, yeah, I just literally, I have like a pathetic thing that says like, here's writing deadlines, here's teaching deadlines, here's funding application deadlines. Just like try and keep an eye on it every once in a while. It's so hard to plan your research work stream that like, yeah, if I have a hardcore deadline, all I end up doing is like prioritizing that over everything else. Um I guess same with funding deadlines. Just I guess you just put out the fire that's like burning most bright and threatening you the most. Um, yeah. It, it's so interesting compared to startups, which is what Joyce and I yeah. work in. Because I'm I'm having like a panic attack here. Okay. <laughs> like, well, just like in the idea of like, it sounds beautiful oh where it's like, it, I'm just thinking of like deadlines and KPIs yeah. and deliverables and yeah i can i'm gonna open a tab and just look at my spreadsheet right now like my, i think i have like well there's like two items i don't know yeah i have like i have two grants that i want to apply for one's in october one's in november there's two job applications that i might send off just for the hell of it and no outstanding paper deadlines except for that book thing which i just ignore that it doesn't exist is the book on the on the on your Google search? Oh, uh, actually, it's it's not, but it's burned into my like. I have nightmares about it. It's, I can't <laughs> well, Jen, like the reason why yeah. I was like I was commenting on like the managing the management part is that like it's actually like you have to be like really good at managing your own time when you have that many like That's independently true. run projects as well as like yes, there are external deadlines, but like. Like, especially when it's so tied to inspiration, like oh. you mm-hmm. really like I imagine like Jen, when you were talking about like your your fanfic, like writing that, like mm-hmm. that sounds like like such an interesting exercise of like managing your own time and your mm-hmm. own work without like having managers looking over your shoulder, asking you about KPIs and all those kinds of things. And I wonder, too, and this is maybe the tragic thing to say, but you know, I continue to work on that because I enjoy it and I'm motivated by it. Whereas a lot of day-to-day work stuff, it's, these are the things that have to get done. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you have to have something that holds, like holds you accountable. Mm -hmm. So I, and just kind of what you're, you've been talking about, Ethan, it it just sounds like these are things that you really like to explore and things that you know and so i mean i guess maybe we can talk about like motivation because yeah. mm-hmm. it sounds like there's the inspiration part but like what what gets you through the week yeah. what motivates you to keep yeah, honestly honestly i was gonna say like if i if i there's almost like no feedback deadline wise like if i don't apply for the funding things it will be years before like the consequences show up or like if i don't submit mm. papers it will be years before the consequences show up. like the feedback circle is so wide that I think really like um yeah really the motivation is just like friggin' love like actually doing you know writing a paper it's just fun as hell like um my wife sometimes says you know yeah like oh do you have to work on that it's sort of like it's not like I have to work on it like I feel like if I, I, I imagine this is what it's like to be a musician with like you know a, a day job or something like uh-huh. I feel like I would want to do this like even if I wasn't getting paid, like I, I just really like when I'm working on a paper project. Yeah. I just want to work on it all the damn time. You know, like, in fact, sometimes I won't even want to go ski or surf or whatever. I just, 
I really want to like get through this part. So I think maybe, yeah. maybe like the fanfic project, it's like, yeah, I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated by deadlines a, because I would never notice them passing anyway, but B also <laughs> because just like, yeah, the, the excitement, it's just exciting to have a, one of these projects. You mm-hmm. want to see what you can get out of it. I guess it'd be, I never painted anything, but I guess it must be like, Mm -hmm. working on something she really wants it to like see what it will be like when it's done well is that uh is that kind of something that you have to be able to manage as far as like your work-life balance is the obsession of a project Uh like does that ever intrude Uh into work i think for me personally no i i think this is i don't know how typical this is of like people in in my field I, i saw a guy one of the guys who recently won the Fields Prize, which is like the Nobel Prize in math, basically, um, mm. like some, I think he's a young, fairly young guy from Princeton. Anyway, he was saying, I was so glad to hear this. He was saying he only really works for about three hours a day. Um, I, I think really? I'm like that. Like, it, it's really self-limiting. So, like, I, I can work for, if I'm, like, doing proper research, I think I get about, like, two and a half or three hours of, like, legitimate focus and then after that it just falls apart so like, i could sit in front of the computer for the rest mm. of the day if i want but I, I won't like actually get anywhere and maybe like now about 20 years into my career maybe 18 years into my career i, I like i became aware of this fact and stopped just sitting mm. at the computer and banging so i think what, what i do now i work i don't know two and a half three hours on some on, on legitimate you know philosophical work and then i do admin stuff for the afternoon or, or, you know, or go exercise or whatever. So for me, I Hmm. think it's not like a real work life challenge because of this sort of self-limiting thing. I I assume there are other people like, you know, who have better stamina and, you know, probably a much worse work life balance than I do. (laughs) Interesting. Take note, corporate America. Yeah, we yeah, only yeah. three hours a day. <laughs> I would be again. I'm no psychologist. I would be surprised if it weren't like that for you know a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, especially with creative work, right? I would think, yeah, yeah, yeah. or like even creative work on the construed quite broadly. Like, I don't know what engineers do, but sure. like, I would imagine like uh, like some of it you just go crunching whatever you're calculating like the properties of some material okay there must be some like mechanical element there oh will this thing that i thought of like comply with the laws of physics okay maybe there's a mechanical element to that but i would think like the birthing of like the widget yeah Yeah. is something like you can't you can spend 20 hours at your desk if you want but i would think the birthing is just gonna whatever there's there's only so much cognitive energy that you really have i guess maybe everyone else is smarter than no, no, I like I agree. I think that like that's that's been something that I'm like trying to do myself is like trying to schedule out time to do like the creative thinking, but it never uh-huh. works like that. Uh-huh. Like it, even if you like mm. schedule like like this block of time, uh-huh. if the inspiration doesn't strike or if exactly. like, you know, the juices yeah. aren't flowing, then it's like, yeah. well, as much as I want to do it, I can't get yeah, the you output. Can't do it now. Yeah. Well, I, one of the best things that's been shared with me, at least on creative, and maybe this is just a writing thing, my husband shared it with me. And if you're ever kind of wanting to do something that you feel like you should do and that you want to do, but you're like, eh, I don't want to do it, is you just do it for five uh-huh. minutes. And if after five minutes, you, uh-huh, you're uh-huh. like, that was enough. I don't want to do it. Then you can uh-huh. stop. But every single time I've ever done it, I've gone on to right. keep writing uh-huh. or do uh-huh. whatever it is 
It's, That's a great tip. But yeah. so it's it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, he's yeah, a good yeah, husband. Yeah, he gives he gives the yeah. good advice. Um, so um, <laughs> the idea of you, like you were saying, if you weren't to write the grants yeah. or you weren't to write the papers, the repercussions of that would be years off. Like, what is your boss structure? Like, oh, who do you yeah. who do you report Smart, to? Yeah. Like, I know the, <laughs> the people of Sweden, but <laughs> but other than that, like, what's your boss situation? Honestly, honestly, I kind of don't know. There's, I have a boss. <laughs> I have a boss. We have, I guess, I have several bosses. A principal. I have. So I'm in. I guess like in America, you would have, most universities would have something called the philosophy department. In, mm -hmm. in my university, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bigger than that. We have a philosophy unit, which is part of a department that has archaeology, history, history of ideas, and religious studies. I have no idea why these things are together. I think it's actually a completely insane organization. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so there is a, a person who's responsible for philosophy history of ideas, history, archaeology, and religion. And it's a man at this point in time, so I'll say him. His responsibility, I guess, is to like make sure that we're all doing the teaching that we're supposed to be doing. And mm -hmm. I guess at some <laughs> level of description, he must be like making sure we're doing research or something. But I, I don't think there's like any I don't think there's like any real sort of sense in which we're managed. Like mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think like if a yeah, I, I don't know what how what would he say? Like he'd say like, "Hey, do some research." <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, I don't know. But he's not like he's not. Uh, they're not required to like look over your work and be like, "Yeah." No, no, they couldn't. In fact, I nice. think unfortunately, right. like no one, no one would be able to like. No, no one. It would be very hard for someone to say like your work is good or your work is crap. So there's a proxy measure, which is like which journals are you publishing in. And we have like, again, this mm. is a proxy of like, so how do you know which journals are good? Well, we have sort of a, like a, a vague professional consensus about which ones are good and it's codified in some places. So like Norway, the government of Norway has this thing called the Norwegian research list. So they have a very crude chunking of journals into two or three tiers. And so like my boss will know that I published say two tier one papers in whatever year. Mm. Um, and that, in fact, will be that measure will be used to determine how much money I get for research, like so how much teaching oh. buyout I get. So there is a sense in which, like, mm. I mean, he's, they're kind of monitoring, like they're, they're, they're making decisions about how much I have to teach on the basis of how much I publish in which tier journals. I think that's fairly specific to my university, like that particular mechanism. But it's not like. It's not like he's saying like, "Hey, you've got this project. You said you were going to do this. Like, where? You know, where's the deliverable?" You know? Uh huh. I, I sort of see his job. Actually, I like really think my boss is awesome. I see his job as being like, "Get me money." Uh, and, and it seems get like he's you doing money? it. Yeah, get yeah, money yeah, or get him yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. Get me money. It seems like he views his job as get all of us the conditions that we say we want, so that we can do the work that we want to do. Like, that makes sense. so right, right now I'm in Korea, like I'm taking Korean courses and like not teaching for a long time because my boss and his boss, I guess, who's the head of like all of the humanities 
I guess because they were, I, I said, this is what I need. I'll do, if you send me to Korea for a while and don't make me teach, I'll write some cool papers and I'll develop a new class. And they said, okay, great. Hmm. And um, yeah, so they, they got me the resources. So so that means you have to deliver that though, right? Yeah. You can't come back and be like, I know. I Although this is, again, class. I think, again, it's like really hard to imagine what the mechanism would be whereby they say yeah. like, hey, where's the class? And if they say, where's the class? I say, oh, it's coming. You know? It's coming. <laughs> This is yeah. blowing my mind. Yeah, my dad. My dad has like worked in business his whole career. I think he, he's always saying like, well, doesn't your boss say like, you know, what are you doing? But no, he doesn't say that. <laughs> there's there's almost a fear though. It's it it feels like it could be compared to like agoraphobia uh -huh. in in hearing what you're talking yeah. about, which is just like there's so much that it just you're so reliant on your it's own completely your so there's no mechanism. external like controls yeah at all. <laughs> yeah yeah and and in talking to you i'm kind of just like sensing this like there's a little bit of a comfort and a safety of oh, working oh, at oh. a business where someone's telling you hey that was good hey you need yeah. to do more of that hey this yeah. is what we need so <laughs> you can't no yeah. there's nothing like that at all i think in my job yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting because like I didn't realize how much um not like mm, I feel like like the the PhD like experience and then like the research experience in my mind like could be a little bit isolating and like lonely. Oh, it's totally because of the fact that mm, yeah. yeah, because you're you're mm. the expert in this area uh -huh. and so it's not like oh let's go whiteboard and brainstorm some like fun ideas with like a group yeah. of people it's yeah. like it's all you and yes. like you said like they can't assess like how like how quality it is because you're the expert right yeah, yeah i think uh, so for what it's worth like i read the acknowledgments sometimes to other people's phd dissertations and i see things mm -hmm. in there like i want to thank my really tight-knit group of uh you know co-students and my advisors like for all the pizza mm -hmm. nights and all the like you know I, I can't think of the English word like those sessions where you're like shooting the ball back and forth mm -hmm. um I, I think some people do have that experience and like I hear a lot of people say like oh, philosophy is a practice it's really something we do together like live um, my I, I'm sort of like a hermit I guess uh I, I always was like during the PhD so my experience was just like what you described. Like I just sort of sit there and write and like in a year I'll show someone a draft or something. Um, for me, it was really isolating. I, I think a lot of people say their experience is isolating. There's like the mental health consequences. Mm. Like the statistics suggest that a lot of people feel isolated and cut off. Although, um, mm. yeah, I, people you do like say that you know, they, they like have a tight new group of people that they brainstorm with. I don't know. Yeah. So if someone was listening and they were wanting to pursue a professor, like becoming a professor uh, or doing what you're doing, what would you say would have to be true about that person for them to feel fulfilled with this or to be successful in going for a long period of time? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, one thing, I guess, I mean, I know, again, I never did any other career, so I don't know what other careers are i think it's, it has to be true though like you have to like to eat pain 
to some extent, because no matter what, like you're not going to get, even if you, if you had the best advisors in the universe, you might get like some warm words occasionally from them. But I think what you're going to get is just like a lot of rejection, a lot of like cruel mm. rejection. Like when you submit papers to journals, people will say, this is the dumbest fucking idea I've ever seen. Like, oh this, my God. Like, why did you even submit this? This person is a moron. Like, so it'll be years of that. Like just a lot of these decisions, like on journal submissions, on applying for grants, like a lot of them are really arbitrary. Like so a lot of luck is involved. Um, so sometimes, yeah, you'll, you'll feel like quite convinced that some idea is great or something. And maybe even in the long run, like the world will even agree that it's great, but like it will still have gone through like, you know, years worth of cruel rejection, et cetera. Um, mm. Also, you have to know, I think that like, <clears throat> yeah, the chances of anything working are incredibly low. So you wouldn't want to be like motivated mm. by the possibility that you'll have success. <laughs> I think you would have to be like, Maybe in the case of fanfic, like you're doing it for yourself. And then if other people like it, mm. great. You'd have to yeah. maybe have a bit of that mm -hmm. um, mindset. Also, like maybe not want to get a lot of money. I was going to ask. <laughs> so what are we talking compensation wise? Like what kind of yeah, lifestyle? Yeah, I think it's kind of tough for me you to, able say. to I have a really good lifestyle, I think, because um, the cost of housing in Sweden is fairly low. Um mm -hmm. That's surprising. Yeah, actually. the cost of most other things, like the cost of like food, I think is high. Um, yeah, you have a lot of other costs that are zero. So, like if you had kids, their university would be zero. Medicine, you know, health insurance is zero. Oh, stop so that, it. that stuff. Stop oh, yeah. it. Sorry. That stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's really tough for me to say. I think I get paid. It's, I think I get like sixty five or seventy thousand dollars a year, and I think. I don't know. I pay like we have huge taxes too. I think I pay like right. I don't right. know what. I don't look really at the numbers because they they don't mean a lot to me. I think I get like maybe about like third between thirty five and four thousand dollars a month after my tax is taken out. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, again, yeah, I can live quite well. Like in Sweden, I think like a two bedroom apartment with like a you know, a good two bedroom apartment. I think it's like 700 bucks a month or 750 oh, bucks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They have, again, this is, this is quite particular to Sweden. So I won't generalize, but like there's sort of, yeah. there's no such thing as like being a landlord. Like you can't be like a, you can't like own property and rent it for profit. Like the laws about mm. profit, like rent making Wait, are really? really strict. Yeah. So almost all mm. like rental property is owned by like NGOs or like quasi sort of quasi-governmental associations that rent wow. like without an interest in making profit. So rents are quite low. Um, yeah, I think in the U.S. people would make okay. like substantially more than I make, like maybe double even. Yeah. Like I think starting salaries at the University of California would probably be roughly double. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. For, for cost of living? Uh, yeah, I guess the cost of living is higher. Also, mm. I think just in America, like salaries are higher. We're, you know, mm. I'm, a, I'm a government agent, right? So like, yeah, Sweden has mm -hmm. a super flat like income structure. I think by I Swedish think. standards, I think I like have like a 85th percentile salary or something. But like oh. in actual dollar terms, like compared to the people who clean the, like the hallways in my building, I'd be willing, I probably, they get paid 70% of what I get paid. I don't know. Hmm. 
And say if you were to publish a book, do you yeah. get that money or is that? Yeah, yeah. I get actually the book contract that I sign. Like I'll get royalties. I think mm. it'll be like, you know, I don't know. Maybe enough. It's not going to be a lot. <laughs> it's for the cred. Yeah, I didn't ask like what I asked the guy like roughly. He, he said like, ah, oh, you could like maybe go out to dinner once a month or something. In I think it'll be like in that ballpark. Yeah, that's like if it's a great seller, you know. <laughs> well, we'll buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll buy it. We'll I'll, I'll mail you guys a copy. <laughs> Signed, please. Mm-hmm. The other thing. Um, oh, sorry, Joyce. I've been going no, go on. So, okay, this. I think this is the last one that I've I've been thinking about. If you didn't end up as an assistant professor, if you didn't end up in academia, do you have an idea of what you'd be doing instead? Well, I really, uh, I really don't. I, I thought as I was finishing the PhD, I was like pretty sure that I would never get a job. And uh, the jobs, like when I was staying up late at night, looking at jobs, thinking, what the hell am I going to do? The two jobs that I kept looking at, well, I thought I would, uh, so I, I, I'm like sort of good with learning languages. Mm-hmm. So I thought like a career I could have maybe would be to go work for the state department, like work in a diplomatic service. Hmm. Um, but the jobs that I like spent most of the time looking at were either police officer or um, person who drives the grooming machine at the ski resort. So I, I was thinking I'll get a job <laughs> driving the, the groomer and then I'll ski like, you know, in the morning. <laughs> and when you say groomer, that's for the snow, right? That's not a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like this big machine. It's a big machine that like, it's like drags a Zamboni. A Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. a snow Zamboni. Yeah. Um, truly, when you said driving the grooming device at the yeah. ski resort, I thought I was just like, are there just like a lot of dogs that yeah. need constant <laughs> grooming? There probably are. Yeah. In the Bay Area, it must be a lot of dogs. I mean, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Very yeah, fancy Everywhere. Dogs. Yeah. Everywhere. Exactly. Um, speaking of languages, how many languages do you know? Oh, yeah. I think maybe six or seven. <gasps> yeah. But again, it, yeah, I'm just, this is like what I do for fun. So like, I don't know, someone else plays the violin or, or like golfs. Yeah. What was the hardest language to learn? Oh, Korean by far for me. Yeah. Really? Yeah, oh, Korean is impossible. If you're, 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 you know, if you're a native speaker, you can't understand how bad it is. What makes it so bad? I'm curious. Oh, basically everything. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like li- li- literally anything that could be done. It's like, what if you ask people that are like sort of linguistically unsophisticated, like what will they say? Well, one thing, the word order is like completely different. Um, mm. But for me, this is like relatively small potatoes. Like the, the real problems are, well, here's one. Just it's completely, like if you learn Spanish or Swedish or even Russian, like at a fairly deep level, there will be similarities in the words mm-hmm. so you'll be mm-hmm. able to identify roots um uh if you you know any like relatively educated english speaker is gonna have a sort of intuitive familiarity with all these latin roots so mm-hmm. i encounter a word in a romance language that i don't know oh i can sort of see why that means like to go out or whatever it has an x mm-hmm. like you know ex oh that means something about going out right um exodus etc mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. learning korean like well you just have zero there's like essentially there's absolutely nothing that's familiar in any way so that just makes it like really hard to remember mm-hmm. also like the grammar is just like deeply fundamentally different like clause structure works super different so, like if i want to say 
I, I, I um, bought an umbrella because I like umbrellas. Well, basically, you have two sentences there, right? Say, I bought mm -hmm. an umbrella and I like umbrellas. The way you put them together to sort of express the relationship of uh, one being the cause of the other is you just stick this word because in the middle. And that, that's mm -hmm. basically the case, I think, for like every European language, like regardless of the, you know, whether it's Germanic or Romance, whatever, it's true of all the Slavic languages, like you have to go really far back in time. But at some point, these things were all coming from a common core. In Korean, like you can't just say like, I bought this because that, right? You don't have just two sentences related by this mm. word. Like one of the sentences is sort of like has a fundamentally different grammar. Uh, and that's mm. really hard for us. Or like if you're saying, you know, when you're quoting people, like saying, John said that he likes potatoes. Like the, the he likes potatoes thing, its grammar is totally different, right? When it's something that someone else said or thought. So I find oh. that it's like damn hard, right? Yeah. Wow. This is so exciting. Sorry. <laughs> I love I love hearing I love hearing like the the kind of system I don't I don't know how to describe it but like it's almost like a systematized approach to language oh. that like I'm I'm not as aware of because I only know like one and a half languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, but your knowledge for what it's worth like uh, so I know I don't know if all the listeners know Joyce knows Korean. I know speaker. little. Yeah. Little. Yeah, heritage speaker, I think we would call mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Incredible set of competences that are built into you that like I'll just struggle for years to try and mimic in some sort of very pale, like <laughs> pathetic to it. <laughs> yeah. Way. Um, is it yeah. is that because like like do you know Chinese? Like, uh, is there no. more of a relation there? Or? Yeah, there's not. So I, my understanding about oh. Korean is that it's like sort of a topic of dispute, whether it's what we would call a language isolate. It's, it's kind of unclear whether it's actually related to any other language. I think people think that it's not. Although, oh. uh, lexically, so like where the dictionary is concerned, it, it does oh. have a lot of commonalities with Chinese. So yeah. it's, I, I think like the language itself, it's not like derived from Chinese or vice versa. Although yeah. they were in contact, such close contact for so long, that like a lot of words are the same. So like I think it, right. learning one of Korean, Chinese or Japanese will help you a lot with the others. It's like right. my, my brother was saying like when he was learning Chinese, my brother uh, is married to a Chinese woman, speaks Chinese. He was saying, oh, sorry. Yeah, he was in a Korean class, like with some Chinese people or something. And like the teacher like wrote like the word for like population density on the board. And like, you know, so like, does anyone know what this is? So like the Chinese guy's like, oh, you know, like really coy. Oh, I wonder, but like, could it mean population density? And like everyone in the class oh. just looks at that person like, fuck you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you. You can do, you can get a bit of that if you speak one of the others. Yeah, but yeah. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so um, yeah. I know we're kind of coming up on time. So I'm going to yeah, ask one last like big yeah. question and mm -hmm. then we're going to do lightning round. Um, yeah. But one of the things that kind of stands out to me is like you were able to find something that really like kind of fills your cup, right? Like mm. it's just, it's not the the external deadlines. It's not the external management. It's not the reward. It's not the money. Um, and so even before you like went into the PhD program or even thought to do the PhD program, mm. like what was like, how did you, like, what was your path to figuring that out, um, for yourself? Because I think a lot of people 
really crave what you have where mm. you're so nourished by the work that you do as opposed mm. to like chasing after rewards. Yeah, I have to say, I feel like incredibly lucky. And in, to some extent, I am just incredibly lucky. Like you, I don't think you could quite choose this. Like you, you have to just get lucky. Like all these filters that I talk about, like where people, you know, fail out of the PhD program or drop out. Like they're not like filters for talent or aptitude even. They're just like somewhat random. So, so I'm not like saying... Uh, you know, the ones who make it are the good ones. Like, in fact, I'm sure, like, probably the system, if anything, like, we probably threw all the good people out and we're left with the mm. remains. <laughs> with the exception of, like, you know, sort of, like, the obvious, you know, like, most brilliant people in the world. Yeah, um, like you. No, no, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. I'm thinking Noam Chomsky. His political opinions are rubbish, but as a linguist, like, yeah. Um, people like that. Anyway, uh, to be clear, like, yeah, I really... I never like had a plan. I think all I did was like when confronted with options, like take the better mm -hmm. of them. So like I, I entered college, I thought I would do biochemistry and I took a logic class in my mm -hmm. first semester of freshman year. And it just blew my mind. Like I, I loved logic. And then, mm -hmm. so I thought, Oh, logic, that's philosophy. I'll take a philosophy class. And then that was awesome. So then I took mm -hmm. a few more and then like I ended up, I did like a half major, like double major, I like, got or, a blend of philosophy and political science. And then I really loved the philosophy. So I thought, okay, I'll do a master's degree. I did the master's degree. And then just like sort of one thing led to another. But I, mm -hmm. for me, it was always just a question of like, yeah, given the options, like which one seems like more fun, do that one. And then it kind of led me here. That's really Wait, so you, you didn't do any math? Oh, uh, no, I never did math. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm shocked. I, I mean, to be honest, it's like a, I'm, it's a huge shame. Like I actually, I didn't finish high school. So I, I'm really what? like mathematically, yeah, I'm mathematically <laughs> like ignorant and it's kind of a shame. Like to, most people in my field are probably really good at math. Uh, it, it's sort of not like... in philosophy generally, but like in, in language philosophy. <laughs> I'm reeling. You, you didn't, uh, how did you make the jump from, to college then? Yeah, it's, it's a, a bit of luck and, um, wow. yeah, probably a bit of like a structural injustice. I, I'm white and my parents are like well off. So that probably helps in some ways. Huh. Um, I was like so getting in a lot of trouble in high school. I got like asked not to come back to the public school. I went to like an alternative school and then I got kicked out of the alternative school and, huh. um, I went to Reed college. And I think I started in 1999. And at that time, I think still to this day, to some extent, but particularly at that time, Reed was like willing to take a chance on people that like, you know, looked on paper, probably like pretty weird, but that who they thought mm. might succeed in the right kind of environment. So like I, after leaving high school, I like started to work on a construction company for a while that like uh, my mom's friend's son was running. And after a while of that, I kind of got a little bored. So I started to go to some like night classes at junior college. So I had mm -hmm. like transcripts from the junior college classes um, that I could send read and like a little explanation. And they took me. And then uh, once I got wow. there, yeah, I just felt like it was like a totally life changing experience. You know, being, yeah, get to, getting to take classes, like, mm -hmm. you know, not being sort of forced by high school teachers to do like, you know, busy work, but like getting to explore stuff that I was interested in. Kind of like, yeah, it took over. I, and then I, I guess self-motivation kicked in. That's Just wanted more and more of it. That, I love that story. That's incredible. Um, 
Joyce, I, I think I'm all tapped out. Did you have any final questions for Ethan? Yeah, I guess like um, to kind of just one last fun one. Um, what What's one thing that you learned in a specific language that kind yeah. of just blew your mind, whether it be because it was like super different or super interesting yeah. or super just like fun to learn? Oh, man, there, honestly, there's so much that I could go forever. But uh, uh, one <laughs> this, this, here's, here's one that I think is mind-blowing. And like, yeah. So the word to know has this property that we call factivity. You can't know something if it's not true, right? Like, so you can't know that uh, the earth revolves around the moon, right? Like we would all just say that's insane. You, you might believe mm -hmm. that, but you can't know it. And uh -huh. that's a really cross-linguistically robust phenomenon. Like nearly every language, like to know P entails that P, like mm, without uh -huh, fail. Uh -huh. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, there are arguments about whether other expressions are like this. So a lot of people would say that to remember is factive. Like you can't remember P unless P. Like you might uh -huh. think that you remember or falsely mm. take yourself to remember, but you can't remember that P unless P. Anyway, with knowledge and the verb to know, I think it's like pretty much universally recognized that it's factive. It, but in Korean, it's not. <laughs> so uh -huh. uh, yeah, we also like... We will also say oh. in Korean, like, oh, I was really surprised when there were no waves today because I knew there would be waves today. Well, what the hell? Right? Oh. Yeah. So that, that for mm. me is mind-blowing. I don't know where we're going to go with this. So then people will say, well, okay, mm. then it can't really mean to know. It must mean like... I to, believe or to believe. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, but then but then what's the word to know? Like, yeah, I don't know, Joyce. What's the word to know in Korean? Like Oh. Is there a word to know? Uh I'm, I'm like the first one that pops yeah. into my mind is um Arasa. Like, yeah, you know, like yeah. I no. yeah, ara, yeah. Well you, well, you can say arata. But Oh if, yeah, you say arata. Doesn't that mean like, oh I thought you were gonna come? Mom, oh. What the hell? Oh, right. wait. So, so anyway, then in, yeah, yeah. Go in the in the English language. Yeah, I'm trying to think about it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because you wouldn't say I knew there would be waves. Yeah. But like, suppose, 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 like I don't know. I'm supposed to go meet mom at the train station. I go there uh -huh. and I wait for a while, and she doesn't sh show up. And I call her and she says, like, hey, what's going on? And I say, like, mom, mom, isn't that I thought you were going to come? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. I mean, you translate that. I thought you were going to come. I thought. Yeah. Not yeah. I knew. Right. But the verb is to know as far as yeah. I can tell. Yeah. So anyway, that's I think that's mind blowing. And I think at some Whoa. point, like I, I don't know exactly where what the paper is going to say because it's going to have to be longer than just holy shit. Korean doesn't have the verb to know, but <laughs> yeah, there's a paper here. I swear, the yeah. plan, part of the plan of learning Korean is like find the person who I can write that paper with. We need to find a Korean epistemologist or a linguist, and like, yeah, all right, you can be on the team. Call and all. <laughs> 
calling all. So what do you do, podheads out there? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Anyone wants to get on this? Anyone uh, wants to write this? <laughs> well, we will be providing some. Uh, w- Ethan, we'll get with you, find out uh, what you'd like us to put in the show notes. But we'll put some information about Ethan so you can take a look at what Great. he's done. And if you want to partner on this paper with him, uh, <laughs> all that we will put in the show notes, but Ethan, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Great. I, I feel like I've been so boring. So I, I just want to apologize in advance. If you thought it would be more no, fun. No, <laughs> no way. No way. Under no circumstances. We are restricted by time, not inspiration yeah. here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, pleasure to speak I'll... with you guys. Yeah. Really enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, okay. and this has been so much fun. Okay, well, and, hopefully uh, we see us sometime. What's that? Well, I look forward to running into you guys when uh, when the world allows. <laughs> yep, yep. Ethan, hold on. Don't don't drop yet, though. Okay. Don't drop yeah. yet. Okay. But Joyce and I will be right back. Bye. Dude, I, I freaking love that conversation. That was really great. I, you know what? And I was, so I, uh, didn't, re- I went to like junior college, didn't graduate. So the whole time I'm thinking, oh, this is really cool. And then he dropped that bomb at the end and he <laughs> didn't finish high school. And I was like, wait, that just like threw out all of my predispositions. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. That was and- wild. I that the, oh God, I love talking to people with stories like that. Like, mm-hmm. just like the, I think that's why I was I, I wanted to ask that question of like, okay, great, like what what led you to this, right? Because mm-hmm. like he's so he's so excited by what he does, and he's been doing it for a long time. And with tenure, he's going to keep doing it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that like that's so cool to see, especially because you know when you and I were fun employed. We were like, mm-hmm. that thing, you know, what is that? The, what is that like pull that like consistent pull that we're that's going to continue to like motivate us and like just feed us outside mm-hmm. of like, just like monetary uh, like or, or any sort of like recognition based like reward. Yeah. Right. So. Well, that was another thing in what he was saying that I didn't think about, but the recognition based side of it, like if mm. you're someone that like me, uh, requires a pat on the head every time they do something good. (laughs) Uh, uh, I, you know, I could see that being incredibly difficult. It's just, it feels like there's this pull with those that stay in academia that are just very assured without a doubt that this is the thing and that they love it. And it kind of doesn't matter what anyone else has to say. And mm-hmm. they just keep, I mean, it does in that, like, how they improve. Funded, but, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. they won't be deterred by what other people have to say. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah, totally. Like, it, it's almost like, like, kind of like, I don't know. It, it's a lot more creative than I realized. Yeah. You know, like, we, you hear about, like, musical artists or just, like, or just artists Mm-hmm. having that like that same having to have that same level of conviction and that that um internal drive of like this is right like i know that the world needs to hear this music or the world needs to see this art or something like that even if like rejection upon rejection like you get turned away right yeah. um 
but I, I hadn't thought about like the professors or research side of things as that. And that was really interesting too. And it'll be inter- it's interesting too with his field being philosophy yeah, compared to science or math. But even mm. that it's, you know, I, I'm sure that there's, there's, you know, variances, but still it's, I, I do think that it is creative kind of how he was talking about, like, even in engineering, there's a creative outlet to totally. it, to what you're totally. doing. Yeah. Oh gosh. I know. I'm like thinking about all these questions about philosophy that I wanted to ask, but man, so why is it end of sentence? That's, <laughs> <laughs> what um, is philosophy? <laughs> what is what does philosophy mean? Uh, well, uh, Joyce, it, it's it's been great being back. I know, I know. I These always get me so pumped. I'm just like, wow, so much is out there. <laughs> well, if if there's anything that someone who happens to be listening and they are at this part of the podcast and they're saying, I wish. I could hear about this, or I've yes. got a person. Then email. What's our email? It's, uh, so what do you do? Pod at gmail. dot com. Pod. So what do you do at gmail dot com? You know what? Try both of those. Um, see whatever bounces back. If not, you can follow us on Instagram, which is. <laughs> so what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> We're a very serious vocation, as you can tell. Oh, my God. I don't know. Just, like, you do the work. You can find us. You don't need to know what what we've called our stuff. Um, But, yeah, let us know. And then check out the show notes. We're going to get some stuff from Ethan so you can check out his work. uh, And if you have, uh, you know, any questions about – anything about the world. his work his work or like anyone else's work or any like even recommendations on like who we should interview next yeah uh, honestly fun. let's just we should just be providing ethan's email address at this point and <laughs> everything can go through him uh we'll yeah, let he, the swedish yeah. taxpayers take care of yeah. our and he's clearly logistics. good at like managing his own time so we need. Yeah, we're going to hack into his uh, Google circles and we're going to put uh, manage email uh, emails that come in for Joyce and Jen. They've been giving your email address out because they can't remember their own. Um, we'll leave it in the show notes. We we'll leave it in the show notes. Uh, well, until next time, folks, uh, I'm Jen. And I'm Joyce. And this is So What Do You Do? And we'll see you again at another time. <laughs> <laughs>